Well, good morning. Welcome to Scotts Hill Baptist Church. So glad you're here this morning. Those of you watching us online, we're glad that you're able to join us. Maybe you're watching us by Facebook. We're glad that you're able to be a part of this service. Those of you who may be here for the first or second time, my name is Phil Ortigo. I'm senior pastor here, and we've just started a brand new series last week that we've entitled Free, Liberated by Jesus. And what we're talking about in this series is we want to look at all the ways that we have freedom in Christ Jesus. Now, last week, as we began, we wanted to begin with a baseline. We wanted to begin with the most fundamental truth of where our freedom lies. And where is it that we find freedom? And, and as we looked at a key verse last week to set the whole stage for understanding our freedom in Christ, we landed on Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, where the Apostle Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And as we looked at this passage, there were three specific truths that we gained out of it. I want to just give a very quick review because we all need to be on the same page when we talk about our freedom. And so the Apostle Paul basically teaches us three significant things. First of all, he tells us the source of our freedom. The source of our freedom, as we saw last week, is Jesus Christ. That's where freedom begins. Apart from a relationship with Jesus, you and I will never be free. We'll always be enslaved enslaved to sin and to our own sinful nature. But when Jesus went to the cross, he provided freedom for us. How did he do this? Well, his sacrificial death on the cross was for us. And through his sacrificial death, we have freedom. As he satisfied God's wrath for us, he took the full brunt of God's wrath that should have been placed on us. And he brought us freedom by reconciling us to God. And the Father forgives us of our sin. He adopts us as his sons and daughters. And he seals us with the Holy Spirit. So the source of our forgiveness, the source of our freedom, is what Jesus Christ did on the cross 2,000 years ago. Now, not only did we look at the source of our freedom, but we looked at the scope of our freedom. And the scope of our freedom in Jesus, there are five things that we've discovered that he frees us from. First of all, he frees us from the curse of the law. That means he gives us grace. We live under grace. Secondly, he freed us from the penalty of our sin. He brings justification. We're counted righteous before God. He frees us from the power of sin. That's sanctification where the Holy Spirit takes up residency within us and gives us the power to overcome sin and become like Christ. We're free from the condemnation of sin. We have liberty. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And lastly, we're ultimately going to be free from the presence of sin. That's glorification. One day we will be with him and we will be like him for we shall see him as he is. And these are things that we get as a result of Christ giving us freedom. He sets us free from these things. The third thing we saw last week was this, the struggle with freedom. And there's a struggle. While we understand the source, while we understand the scope of the freedom, there's still this struggle. And that's why the Apostle Paul says, Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Why? Because the tendency is to drift back into yokes of slavery. And here's what we know. While Jesus did his work on the cross 2,000 years ago to give us freedom, there is an enemy the devil, Satan, our adversary, who is always looking for ways to enslave us again. 
And in his arsenal are many, many weapons that he uses to try to enslave us. What we're going to do in this series is we're going to look at all the different weapons that the enemy wants to use to keep us enslaved. And for the next several weeks, we're going to look at all of those. In fact, this is where we're going. Next week, we're going to look at defeating your discouragement. The enemy wants to use discouragement in our lives to keep us down. Winning over worry. He wants to use anxiety and things like that to keep us from what God has for our lives. Guarding your guilt. We're going to deal with how to overcome guilt. Taming your temptation. How to overcome difficult temptations. Resisting your resentment. And attacking your anger. We're going to look at all of these things in the next several weeks. But today we're going to look at the most common one. The most common weapon in the arsenal of Satan is fear. It's fear. And the reason we're going to look at fear first is because it is the number one area that the Word of God commands us not to be involved in. Over 600 times the scripture says, do not fear. Do not fear. Why? Because there is a propensity within every one of us to be fearful. We see it through the pages of scripture. The disciples were fearful. We see that they were constantly afraid of so many things. We see great men and women in the Bible who were overcome by fear and were paralyzed and were kept from doing what God desired for them. And so fear is something that we all have to face. Now let me just say this. Fear in and of itself is not a bad emotion. God has given us the emotion of fear. And the rightful emotion of fear helps us to walk in wisdom and in protection. But when fear is not connected to reason, when fear becomes irrational, then it leads us to places that can enslave us. My wife Chris and I have always loved to do adventurous things. Our whole marriage, we, we do this. We go on vacation, and we don't go to a place where we can rest. We go to a place where we can hike, we can bike, we can kayak, we can do all of these things. And our entire lives, we've been doing adventurous things. So as a result, when our kids were growing up, they learned how to do a lot of adventurous things. And so we would bring them with us on these kinds of trips. They learned to hike. They learned to do all the things that we do. One of the things that we've always loved to do as a family is to go to amusement parks. And we love roller coasters. And the reason we love roller coasters so much is not only just because of the thrill, but there were four of us in our family, and it was the, we had a perfect roller coaster family. We go to all of the, the, the different parks. We ride on the roller coasters together. But it wasn't always that way. You see, there was a time when Ryan was afraid of roller coasters, my son. And so I wanted to break him from the fear of roller coasters. And so we go to a roller coaster park. I think we were at Carowinds. I don't remember where it was. But we had gotten in this line. And we were inching our way towards the roller coaster. Now, Ryan was afraid of loops and upside-down turns and things like that. He had never ridden on a big roller coaster before. So he's in front of me, and I've got my hands on his shoulders, and he measured the right height and everything. We're ready to go. And then he looks at me with fear in his eyes. He says, Dad, do you see any loops? Do you see any turns? Do you see any flips? And he was looking ahead, and I turned my head this way, and I said, I don't see any loops, I don't see any turns, and I don't see any flips. The lady standing behind me whispered, shame on you. 
I had no shame. I had no shame. Here's why. Because my little boy wasn't going to be a girly man when it comes to roller coasters. He was going to ride a roller coaster. And if I have to make him do it, he's going to do it. I mean, that's who we are. We're a family of roller coaster riders. And I did not lie to him. He did not say, Dad, does this ride have any loops? I just told him I didn't see any. So it was truthful. So we made our way up to the deck and the platform. There was a roof. You couldn't see all the curves and the flips and the things that I assumed were there. And, uh, and so we get there, and you can see where the roller coasters are coming in and out. And people are getting off, and they're laughing. They're having a great time. So Ryan's a little bit eased up on this. So he's feeling pretty good. Everybody's having a good time. So we're in the line, and of course, I want him to have the best experience possible, so we go to the front car. Yes. Front car, baby. And we're standing in line, and he's smiling. I get in first, and he gets in next to me, and they put the thing down. He grabs that bar, and when he looks up, he sees that incline. And it starts going click, 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 going up. And Ryan's hanging on white knuckles to that bar. And he is saying the same phrase over and over and over again. I'm a little bit embarrassed to tell you what it was. But he kept saying it all the way to the top. And here's what he was saying. I want my mommy. I want my mommy. I want my mommy. I want my mommy. And Chris wasn't there. I just said, she ain't here. And uh, and he's hanging on. And some of you are thinking, I don't want you training my kids. So anyway, we're going up to the top. And the whole way, I want my mommy, I want my mommy, I want my mommy. And then all of a sudden, we crest that hill. And he looks down, and we drop. And it's about 60 miles an hour going down there. And I'm kind of watching him. And he's hanging on. His eyes are big. He's just looking. He's not looking at me. He's just looking straight ahead. We make that first couple of curves, and then here comes the loop. And I'm thinking, oh, I don't know what he's going to do. And we hit that loop. And he comes out of it, and he kind of looks at me like, that ain't so bad. And then he started kind of, we keep going, and he starts loosening that bar. Next thing I know, his hands are loose. And when we come down to the end of that roller coaster, there are a couple of little bumps left. He had both hands up in the air, and he was just having fun. He was smiling from ear to ear. His eyes were big. He looked at me when we got down to the bottom, and he almost shouted, Dad, can we do it again? And here's what I recognize that Ryan went through. He went from fear to faith, to freedom. Because the reality is this, fear keeps us from being free. Faith leads us to a freedom that we will never have unless we let go of the bar. And there are a lot of people in Christ who are hanging on to the bar. Your life has been governed by fear and not by faith. And as a result, you have not been able to experience the freedom that God wants you to have. And God wants us to be able to walk in freedom. But the problem with fear is fear always keeps us from being free. That's why God has 600 times in the Old Testament and the New Testament, fear not. Because fear is devastating. Fear is devastating to our walk with God. Fear cripples us spiritually, and fear robs us of some of the most grand blessings that the Father has for his children. We can look at a lot of examples in Scripture, but one of the most notable and the most powerful examples in Scripture of a people being gripped by fear and missing the blessings of God are the people of Israel 
as God is leading them to the promised land. Take your Bibles, open to Deuteronomy chapter 1, beginning in verse 19. Beginning in verse 19. In, in Deuteronomy, the parallel passage of what we're about to study is found in Numbers 13 and 14. But Moses has given a recount of everything that had happened in the early days of Israel in the wilderness. And he's reminding them of some of the decisions that they made. And they made a horrible decision based on fear, which robbed them of freedom. And as we look at this in Deuteronomy chapter 1, beginning in verse 19, we're going to discover how fear hinders our faith in God. And so, chapter, 19, chapter 1, verse 19, Moses is speaking. And he says, as a recount of the history... Then when we set out from Horeb and went through all the great and terrifying wilderness that you saw, on the way to the hill country of the Amorites, as the Lord our God commanded us, and we came to Kadesh Barnea, and I said to you, you have come to the hill country of the Amorites, which the Lord our God is giving us. See, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up, take possession as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has told you, do not fear or be dismayed. Then all of you came near and said to me, let us send men before us that we may explore the land for us and bring us word again of the way by which we must go up in the cities into which we shall come. The thing seemed good to me, and I took 12 men from you, one man from each tribe. And they turned and they went up into the hill country and they came to the valley of Eshkol and spied it out. And they took in their hands some of the fruit of the land and brought it down to us. And brought us word again and said, it is good. It is a good land that the Lord our God is giving us. But there was one problem. They encountered something in the land they did not expect. They encountered giants. The Anakim. They encountered these giant men of old. They encountered fortified cities. They encountered obstacles that they did not expect to be there. And what happened? Those ten men of the twelve let fear control them. Not only them, but listen. The ten men brought back such a negative report that it impacted two million of God's people. And they missed God's blessings. There are five things that fear did to them. And if we're not careful, fear does the same to us. And this is why the enemy loves fear so much. Because he knows if he can use fear, he can trip us up in these areas and we'll miss what God has for us. Let me give you the five things that tripped up the Israelites and that will trip us up today. Number one, fear disregards God's plan. Fear will set aside the plan of God because it isn't easy and because it doesn't seem safe. Look at verse 26. Yet you would not go up, but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. Now God had just told them he set the land before them. God had just told them that he prepared the way for them. God had just done all this great work in Egypt. He brought them out of Egypt. He brought them through the Red Sea. He brought them through the desert. And now they're standing on the edge of paradise. 
And God is saying, go get it. And they say, no, there are giants in there. They came to the very edge of paradise, and they chose to live the rest of their days in the dust of the wilderness. They wouldn't submit to God because of fear. You know, I wonder how many believers do the same thing. How many times we walk by fear instead of faith? God calls us to do something. We walk right to the threshold of what God has for us. And there may be some of the greatest blessings that God has. There may be a land with our name on it. There may be something that God has for us that is abundant in nature. But because of fear, we will not cross that threshold. And because of fear, we will settle with the dust of a wilderness rather than some of the greatest blessings that are before us. I have said this for years, and I want to remind you of this today. Every blessing is hinged on obedience. Every blessing is hinged on obedience. And when we do not walk by faith obediently before the Lord, we may lose the very blessings that he has, and we will be content with the dust of the earth. Fear always does that. But it gets worse. Look at the second thing. Fear distorts God's purpose. Now it's one thing for fear to disregard God's plan, but it distorts the purpose of God. Look at verse 27. Notice what happens next. Moses said, and you murmured in your tents... And said, because the Lord hated us, he brought us out of the land of Egypt to give us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Talk about a terrible perspective. God's plan was to bring them to deliver them. God's plan was to give them the bounty of the land. God's plan was to demonstrate his goodness and his grace upon his people. But what happened was because of fear, not only did they lose perspective in the whole situation, they distorted not only God's purpose, he's bringing it out here to kill us. They distorted his character. He is not a good God. And they began to question his goodness. And the devil loves this because if he can get us to question the character of God, then we will all the more disobey him. Remember in the, in the garden? He calls Adam and Eve to question the goodness of God. Did God really say that? Ah, you see, God knows something you don't know. God knows the day that you eat of it, you'll become like him. Oh, is God hiding from us? Is he high? Does he not want us to have this? And fear always leads us to question the motives of a good God. You see, not only do we disregard his plan, but when I start to be walking by fear, I begin to question in my mind, huh, you know, what's really the motive behind all this? And it becomes about me and not about God. Here's the third thing that fear does. Fear discourages God's people. I want you to notice that they went from disregarding God's plan, distorting his purpose, discouraging the people. Verse 28. 
Where are we going up? (laughs) Our brothers have made our hearts melt, saying the people are greater and taller than we. The cities are great and fortified up to heaven. And besides, we have seen the sons of the Anakim there. Here's what they're saying. They said, they came back with a report that completely discouraged us. The word discouraged means to remove courage. The people at one point had courage. But when these ten came back with this negative report, not only did it impact just a handful of people, it impacted the entire nation. They said our heart melted. Why? The cities were fortified to the heavens. That's a little bit of an exaggeration, isn't it? There are giants there. The Anakim. Basically, they were trying to say the the, the cities are fortified and they're teeming with giants. We can't possibly go in and take them. I want to tell you something. Discouragement is contagious. Fear is always contagious. And when people live by fear, they can pass that fear, listen, from generation to generation to generation. And when that passes that far, a whole generation of people and multiple generations become afraid and very fearful. And the people were afraid. Do you think fear doesn't change the tone of a people? Go to a crowded movie theater and shout at the top of your lungs, he's got a gun, and see what happens. Go to a really good party and shout out, She's got a Justin Bieber CD. And it'll shut down. No. But the thing is, discouragement always breeds deeper fear. I want to tell you, if there are people around you who are very negative and they're very fearful, get away from them. Because you don't need to be around people like that. Because the environment that is bred through that is always one of fear. But here's the last thing. Uh, Not the last thing, the fourth thing. Fear disbelieves God's promises. Fear disbelieves the promises of God. Now, this really gets bad because the people of Israel should have known better. They, They disbelieve the promises of God. Moses says it this way. Then I said to you, now listen to what he says. Do not be in dread or afraid of them. Why? Because the Lord your God who goes before you himself will fight for you, just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes and in the wilderness where you have seen how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son all the way that you went until you came to this place. He's saying, now listen, don't forget. It was the Lord who who delivered you from Egypt. It was the Lord who fought Pharaoh. It was the Lord who brought the the, the ten plagues. It was the Lord who split the Red Sea in half. It was the Lord who brought you through the wilderness. It is the Lord who's brought you to the very edge of the promised land. Memory and experience are yours. Your eyes have seen these very things. You should have the greatest confidence of any people on the face of the planet because of what you have seen God do. Yet, in spite of this word, you did not believe the Lord your God who went before you 
in the way to seek you out a place to pitch your tents and fire by night, cloud by the day to show you by what way you should go. Memory and experience are yours. And fear caused them to put aside what they know about God to be true and to walk in their irrational emotions and miss everything God has. See, the reality is this. If you have a relationship with Christ, you have memory and you have experience. And in your life, God is doing things and has been doing things. And he wants you to call on your memory and your experience with him as measures of confidence in him. There's a difference between two phrases that I'm getting ready to give to you. There's a world of difference between these two phrases. The first phrase is this. It's one thing to believe in God. And it's another thing to believe God. You see, a lot of people believe in God, but they don't believe Him. But those people who walk by faith are the ones who not only believe in Him, but believe His Word. David had memory and experience. You know what David did, King David, after he killed Goliath? Do you know what he did with his shield and his sword and his spear? He didn't sell them on eBay or anything like that, no. Here's what he did with them. He put them in the corner of his tent. And everywhere David went, there was the shield, the spear, and the sword of Goliath. And whatever difficulty David ran into, all he had to do was look in the corner of his tent, and he would see the victory that God had given him in fighting the most formidable enemy of his life, Goliath. And every single circumstance of his life, all he had to do was look to the corner of his tent, and it was memory, it was experience that reminded him that he can believe God, he can believe his character, and he can trust in his goodness. Fear robs you of all of that. Here's the last thing. Fear delays godly progress. Fear delays godly progress. We see this in this passage. What happens to the people who choose to live by fear and not by faith? They will live the rest of their lives breathing the dust of the desert. Here's how Moses puts it. And the Lord heard the sound of your words and was angered. And he swore, not one of these men of this evil generation shall see the good land that I swore to give your fathers. Except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh. He shall see it. And to him and to his children, I will give the land on which he has trodden because he has wholly Followed the Lord. Then he goes on. Even with me, the Lord was angry on your account and said, You also shall not go there. Moses did not get to go to the promised land because he treated the name of God as unholy. Joshua, the son of Nun, who stands before you, he shall enter. Encourage him, for he shall cause Israel to inherit it. What about the kids? In, in numbers, they were concerned about their children. They said that they will become prey. Here's what God says. And as for your little ones, who you said would become a prey, and your children, who today have no knowledge of good or evil, they shall go in there, and to them it, I will give it, and they shall possess it. 
But as for you, turn and journey into the wilderness in the direction of the Red Sea. How long did they do that? For 40 years. They came to the edge of the promised land. And because they refused to step out by faith, but they lived by fear, for the next 40 years, all those who were adults at that point of the 10 spies going in, died in the wilderness. You realize what happened? I want you to think about this. All those adults died in the wilderness. Their children went into the promised land without parents and without grandparents. It impacted generations. And what did it do? It delayed the godly progress that God was working in their lives. So you see, when you and I walk by fear, fear wants to disregard the plan of God. Fear will cause us to distort the purpose and the character of God. Fear will cause us to discourage the people of God. Fear will cause us to disbelieve the promises of God. And as we walk in fear, it delays all of the good things that God wants to create and do in us. The Apostle Paul writes this, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. As children of God, those of you who are in Christ Jesus, you are not to live your life as street orphans when you have been given the credentials of the palace. And yet when you and I choose not to walk by faith and to let fear control our lives, it hinders our walk in such a way. And listen, we miss, we miss the goodness of the Father. We miss the blessings that he has for us. We miss the things that he wants to do in us. And the whole way the enemy is laughing, knowing that we are free in Jesus. And yet we choose to remain enslaved. Let me give you four ways of overcoming fear. Four things we can do. Number one, confront your fear honestly. Confront your fear honestly. Be honest with your fear. All of us have fears. Some of you have some fears right now that have been crippling in your spiritual life. And you need to confront it. You need to admit it. You need to name it. You need to say, that is that fear. I know exactly why I am where I am. Confront it. Call it by name. Secondly, confess your fear as sin. If your fear is robbing you of the freedom that God has for you, call it what it is. If it's disregarding God's plan in your life, if your fear is calling you to question the goodness and the character of God, if your fear is causing you to discourage other people or disbelieve his word, it's sin. Call it sin. If you don't really know what the fear is, call out to God. David calls out to him and said, I sought the Lord, and he heard me, and he delivered me from all my fears. Call out to him. Number three, claim God's promises. One of the greatest things we can do when we're walking in fear is to walk in the faith of the word of God. 
And we claim the promises of God. Now, some of you may have some issues with fear. I want to give you some references in Scripture. I want to give you some Scripture references. I want you to write these things down. I want you to put them on cards. I want you to put them in your house, put them on your car, put them on the forehead of your spouse. I don't know. Do something so you could see these things clearly. Well, let me give you some of them. Deuteronomy 31.6, be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, he is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Psalm 27, 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Psalm 118, 6. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Think about that. <laughs> the omnipotent ruler of the universe is on your side? What can man do to you? Proverbs 3, 25 and 26. Do not be afraid of sudden terror nor of trouble from the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. Proverbs 29, 25. The fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord will be safe. And finally, my favorite, Isaiah 41, 10. Fear not. Stop being afraid. Why? For I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. He is the one that does it. And if he's on your side and he's with you and never leaves you, what fear should we even have? Claim the promises of God's word and let them be the rich anchors of your soul. Number four. Cultivate a closer relationship with God. You want to know why Joshua and Caleb could go to the promised land? Here's why. The scripture says their heart was fully God's. Fully His. And they cultivated that relationship with Him. The deeper you walk and the closer you walk with the Father, the less your fear is. But the greater your fear, the greater loss of reason and a greater loss of reason the more irrational you will behave but when I walk closely with him my confidence is in him as in his character as in his goodness is in all the great things that I trust about him when our kids were little I used to play a game with them it was called Lion. I was the lion. My kids were, I don't know, the squirrels, the chipmunks, whatever it is that they were going to be. And the way our house was set up, we had a sofa here and a sofa here and two wingback chairs here. The rules of the game were very simple. I'm the lion. I'm going to be prowling around the floor on all fours. I go about and I roar and I try to eat you. As long as you're on the sofa or the chair, I cannot eat you. You can run from sofa to sofa and chair to chair, and I'm going to chase you, and I'm going to roar, and I'm going to make all kind of noise, but you're safe as long as you're on the sofa or a chair. Well, Ryan and Leslie, we would do this for hours. My knees would be killing me on that hardwood floor, and I'm going back and forth, and I'm roaring, and I'm trying to catch them, and they're laughing, and they're running and giggling, 
And then one time Ryan decides to be the daredevil and he decides he's going to run from the sofa all the way to the chair, clean across the hardwood floor. And so he does, and he gets there. I said, okay, I got your number. And I'm running around, and then he runs another angle. Well, after two times, I know his pattern. It's clear what his pattern's going to be. So I'm roaring. The game is getting very intense. Man, I'm just screaming loud. I'm just making noise. I'm just going back and forth. I'm prowling. And all of a sudden, I act like I'm going to go this way. And Ryan takes off. And I get on my fours, and I jump and pounce on top of him. And I'm just roaring as loud as I can. His eyes got so big. He got scared. I don't know if it was the intensity of the moment, but it frightened him. And in the midst of all that, you know what he did? He threw his arms around his neck and he closed his eyes. He threw his arms around my neck and he closed his eyes and he started saying, you're my daddy, you're not a lion, you're not a lion, you're not going to hurt me. Just like that. Some of you are walking in a fearful time. And your father is there. And he wants you to throw your arms around his neck and say, You're my daddy. You're my daddy. Nothing is going to hurt me. Nothing is going to hurt me. Why do you fear? You have a father who gave you his son so you can have eternal life. Why do you fear? His son did not stay in a grave, but on the third day he burst through that tomb and he is alive. Why do you fear? The Holy Spirit, God, lives in you. Why do you fear? He will never, ever leave you. And no matter what circumstance, no matter what difficulty, no matter what pain, no matter what question, no matter what hardship comes your way, you are always right before the Father where you can throw your arms around Him and say, you're my daddy. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. And that little act will defeat the enemy. you walk in freedom what fear do you have today that you're hanging on to that's irrational <laughs> really it's all irrational when you consider who God is and what he's done for you brothers and sisters in Christ you're free live you're here this morning and you don't know Christ as your Savior, let me plead with you that He's your only hope for freedom. He's the only one who will set you free from yourself. From an eternity separated from God and from His wrath. Jesus is your only hope. Would you surrender to Him Father, what a reminder and a warning to us this morning of what fear does, but what freedom brings.
Father, enable us to walk freely before you with memory and experience of what you have done and what you can do in the confidence of your character and your goodness and the absolute certainty of the promises of your word. Let us live freely. Father, for those who are without Christ this morning, I pray that you would do a work in their hearts and they would yield to you. And you would change them forever. We're no longer slaves, Father. We're sons and daughters of the King. And we pray in his name. Amen.